This episode of Avocado and Honey is brought to you by The Mailbox Experience. Mailbox is a spiritual teacher and an intuitive guide who just so happens to be a relationship expert as well. Go to mailboxzone.com to book your general energy reading. And when you mention Avocado and Honey, you'll get your reading for only $20. And y'all know, sis, be knowing. You heard her on the past episode. And if those episodes didn't convince you, check out her YouTube channel. It's at mailbox1111. Or you can just go to mailboxzone.com and book your reading. Don't forget to mention Avocado and Honey. Let's start the show. Hey y'all, it's your girl Smanji and welcome to the 67th episode of Avocado and Honey. If you haven't already, be sure to check out the previous episode with Mailbox. She came through to talk about her relationship series. So we're talking about liars, cheaters, and ways to attract the your ideal partner. So um, be sure to check it out. Be sure to check out her relationship series on YouTube at Mailbox 1111. And also be sure to like, comment, share, subscribe, tell a friend, just spread the word on the episode or just avocado in um, avocado and honey in general and i'm really excited for today i have the lovely amber tam in the house today how are you actually good i'm a whole okay okay <laughs> i feel good saying that that's good that's good i'm glad you're great well i, I stretch it there okay. your whole okay like i'm okay the, oh, okay yeah exactly that okay 360 yeah okay. yes <laughs> i want to kind of share how we met Cause I thought it was really cool. I don't know if you remember, but I remember it like I remember it was yesterday. It so clearly, okay. Yes. <laughs> this was like two years ago. I want to say, yeah, definitely over a year ago. Two yes. years ago, I was in Washington Heights, and I was um, on the train, and then I was just attracted to your energy, and I was like, I'm gonna ask this girl if she listens to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> she looks like she listens to podcasts. I'm gonna give her my sticker. And then um, you were like, I do. And then you're just like ready to start a whole conversation, even though it was like your stop. And then we became Instagram friends, social yeah. media friends. And yeah, so here Avocado we are. And yes. And now you're here. On I'm it. here. Yes. Yeah, so I'm really excited. And um, I'm, I'm excited. So do you want to do like a short introduction or anything? Sure. Um, I'm Amber Tam. I'm from Brooklyn. A <laughs> gang gang. Yes, I'm, I'll say it again. I'm from Brooklyn. <laughs> Just like a Brooklyner or Brooklynite. What do you I'm call it? I'm from Brooklyn. <laughs> no, let me stop. Um, but I'm from Brooklyn. Wait, which um, neighborhood? Which? Oh, East New York. Oh, okay. The Ross yes. gem of Brooklyn. Yes. The most ungentrified part right now. Uh, the real brutal. But I'm from East New York and I'm a floral designer, farmer, horticulturalist, a storyteller. I'm I'm transitioning into claiming storyteller because okay. that's what I've been deemed by the community, mm -hmm. Instagram community. Um, <laughs> black farmer, food system activists climate change activists i don't know i'm, I'm for the people i right. just i speak on behalf of mama earth for the people yes <laughs> oh i love it okay so i want to start um so we're going to be talking about like food systems and climate change for the most part mm -hmm. um but the first half i definitely want to um hear your story and just how you became who you are like how did you become a farmer and all that stuff 
because again, I told you off, um, off the record, but, um, when I met you, I just felt like this was like you since birth. Like you just came yes. out like hugging a plant <laughs> type thing. Well, I did have a mom that was like a plant lady. Oh, like, okay. You know, I grew up with a mom that was like, you speak to your plants and we had plants hanging all over the ceiling and she was, she was really good with plants. Mm-hmm. So I did have that component, but I will say that I went to a school in lower Manhattan that was called the hippie school. Mm. And I was transferred from a school in Coney Island, like in the hood where I was getting jumped often. Wow. Um, due to like colorism reasons. Right. And it was at that school that I really saw a different side of life really. And that, that was mainly because the school was very white and, but it was, it was not, it was white with money, but not prestigious, not like snobby because it's lower Manhattan, it's Greenwich Village. Right. So these were all kids that, you know, had two moms or two dads or two dads and two moms. Mm -hmm. So a lot of LGBTQ community there, Um, a lot of community that was involved, you know, that was the first time I heard of a vegan. That was the first time I heard of tofu, Mm -hmm. but I was seven and I was coming from a completely different background. Right. Um, So that being in that space and just hearing about sleepaway camps, hearing about people who have farms, um, families that have farms, and those are my classmates, Mm -hmm. that was when that portal really opened up. But as I grew, and even when I would say something like, I want to be a farmer, I don't think it was taken seriously. So as I grew, when I, by the time I got to high school, I had declared humanitarian, which I don't think is that different from farmer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because if we're talking about what UNICEF does, it's like, they go to their well countries to help them with their food systems. Right. So I was like, okay, humanitarian will work. But in the midst of losing my parents where my father murdered my mother, that kind of left me in a space of needing housing, needing food, mm-hmm. and, and a, a safe place a, and some type of income. Mm-hmm. And farming kind of fit all three of those things. And it could have manifested in like working on a ship or, you know, doing some type of trucking or whatever. But mm-hmm. The first thing that called to me was farming. And so that's really how that came up for me is I, I just, it was out of a place of need. Right. So so I want to emphasize that because some people don't get that. It's like, I, it's something I always wanted to do, yes. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I can 100% say I wouldn't be doing it if the, the urgent need wasn't there. It might have been something I eventually did right later in my life or I would have just been starting it now at 24. Mm-hmm. But starting it at 18 was very different because it it was imme- like I I didn't know how to be an adult. Mm, right. I That's like know. literally 18 like you, and, and you kind of just thrown in there. trauma and then I was like okay, I just need to be in one place. Mm-hmm. Having to deal with my parents and like there's some type of income coming to me. I have a bed and I have food. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, from there, I, I just been going with the flow, as you said. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> I we went to do. my first farm and I've just been farming ever since. And then I did read, too, like after, you know, the, the tragedy happened, um, you went out and bought like a thousand dollars worth of plants. <laughs> I did. So what was that like? So, I mean, now that I know that you have like the plant background with your mother being a plant lady and everything so was it tough for you to um I guess make that transition to care for all those plants I think outside of yourself you know I had a partner at the time that was really encouraging me I'm really grateful for her she was really there for me during that time and Mm. she was ministering to me to be outside she was ministering me to connect with something and then one of my aunties gave me a moldavite necklace which was green right Mm -hmm. And for those who know about Moldavite, they know it's like a thing that 
descended from it's like a meteorite that descended from the sky to the earth and like now we now we like use we use it as like a gemstone oh okay gemstone magic but when i got it i did it i thought it was from the earth Mm. i didn't know that it was like a meteorite kind of gem so it like opened my heart in this way and Mm -hmm. I, i think just going to get plants it was the first thing i i it's the first thing I did for myself after I lost my parents. Mm-hmm. But it was also a way to care about something because I recognized that I don't know how much I cared about myself because mm. I was conf- I, I just didn't know what to make of life. Right. So the only thing that came through as truth was taking care of those plants. Mm. And in the midst of taking care of those plants, I learned how to be half alive and half dead. I learned mm. how to lose one part and then out of that part there's new growth right i learned how to like i i learned that my trauma was t- it's mine and like i always remember it always be in the soil of mm-hmm. myself of my family but it's not the end right and sometimes in trauma we we forget mm-hmm. it'll be the only thing that feels real to us in that moment right which makes sense because like you're in it right then and there so it's kind of yes. hard to see outside of it yes so you would say then like these plants in the end kind of taught you how to care for yourself? Yes, absolutely. Mm. And that's what they're there to do. It's unfortunate for me, and I, I say this very openly, that it took me to lose my parents to finally listen. Mm-hmm. But that's just my path. But I can I can guarantee that you don't have to be going through any level of strong trauma or trauma right. for them to teach you something. So what was the process like um, with caring for them? Like, did you already know how to care for all those plants or just like, what was it like trial and error type thing? Yeah. And I was living in a basement with no heating. So oh, wow. It was even, it was even more <laughs> Did you have than, sunlight? No. Dang. So it was, it was learning about ornamental plants mm-hmm. by just buying them, you know, and like quote unquote wasting my money. But it was the way that I created an index of what an indoor plant is. I wasn't Googling very much. I was right. just buying whatever. Because, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I was blinded by trauma, so I wasn't thinking critically. I was like, that plant looks great. I'll right. take it home with me. And then it would die, and I'd be like, oh, well, that's not a plant that can be in low sunlight or in a cold space. Mm-hmm. And so I created, I started creating my own index, really. I didn't even know I was doing it at the time, but, mm-hmm. yeah, but I, I can it. 100% say that was, if we're talking career, that was the start. Okay. And um, you were mentioning before, like in your childhood, like, you know, you were always taught to uh, speak to your plants. Yeah. I I feel like I asked this before because I did like a plant episode a while ago. Do you feel like it's important to speak to your plants? Like, would you be able to have like a successful plant without speaking to it at all? Like, do you have to? You could have a you you could have a successful plant without speaking to them, mm-hmm. um, because on a on a technical level, like yeah, all plants need a sunlight and water and good right. soil. But I feel like if you are a person that's trying to establish a connection, mm. then that's the portal. Okay, and okay, this is like something that just popped into my head. And one of your videos, I seen you like repotting, and I feel like <laughs> I thought it was really cool to see because I'm not saying you were rough. But you were a lot less gentle than I expected you should be. A lot of people say that about that video. It's true. <laughs> You're going in and he was just handling it. So, but then I was just like, when I tried to repot my, my plant that, you know, is no longer with us. Um, <laughs> Rest in peace. 
it was i was just i think i was too gentle maybe i didn't break up the roots and stuff like because you like took it out the original mm-hmm. pot then broke down the the bottom and then put it in the new pot yeah so like if you don't break down that bottom of the original pot like can it still grow or is that really yeah, necessary it can. but okay. when you break up the roots on the bottom it's helpful because it's gonna allow sometimes you know i don't know if people have seen it but sometimes if you're if you're looking at a dead plant right mm-hmm and you empty the dirt out you'll still see that the transplant is inside of the soil but the transplant is solid right right and it's like solid with the dead root around it Mm -hmm. and it's covered in that dirt but it hasn't connected to all the dirt around it oh okay when you break up the bottom of the root of the transplant and you put it in new soil that'll help it okay integrate the new soil with the roots because the roots hold this hold the soil in place really Mm -hmm. got it but I mean, I was rough in that video, and <laughs> I I don't I don't think it's a bad thing. I like I think as a farmer, it's a little bit different. Yeah, that's what I was thinking that video in particular was when I I mean I don't even remember why it was like spirit told me to just do all these videos of me doing mundane farmer things because that was when Black Farmer Visibility wasn't really on Instagram. It was just emerging maybe with Soul Fire only really, mm-hmm. and then. I just started posting these mundane videos, but I was so shocked to see people say that. I remember them being like, wow, you, that's right. how you replant lavender. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how I replant lavender, and I can tell you it grows really well. Okay, note it, <laughs> note it. So what was the transition like for caring for like the house plants into becoming a farmer? This is really important because to just even talk about because there is a significant difference, and that video can can show that to you. It's like, I was moving like that because I had probably 188 lavender plants to repot that day. Mm-hmm. So it's like I was working, I was being intentional in my head, in my mind space, and my spirituality with the plant, but I was moving like an actual worker because there's so much to do as a farmer. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those who get interested in farming, but they're coming from like a home plant, kind of context where they've taken care of plants in home spaces mm-hmm. whether that be their own or their families etc there's a different level and funny enough i just had a farm interview <laughs> i just had a farm interview with a man who's been farming for 30 years and he's 75 and he's from new zealand okay and one of the first things he said to me is he was like i did all this research on you and i appreciate all the work you do but i can't have you slow me down because you want to talk to plants <laughs> it's a commercial farm oh wow so i can't have you lagging two minutes behind the rest because you wanted to spend more time with the kale and i was grateful that he was showing me who he is mm-hmm. but that that's that's farmers that's that's their fire like mm-hmm. they come at you like if you think this is taking care of house plants and you just water them a little bit and walk away and talk to them that's not what's happening here mm-hmm. in farming it's about being balanced with having your mental and your spiritual on point but also your physical as like a worker you're, right because you're working and it's if you're harvesting it's like you got to get these greens to the cold storage pack the truck like there's a lot of things to do what was the hardest thing for you to adjust to oh i mean that's been so different per farm but i think not living in city environments was the hardest thing for me not living in environments with a lot of people diversity mm-hmm. um and just being alone and not not living with people I, I don't know, really. Right. So can you tell me more about the journey, though, to becoming a farmer? Because I don't think it's like as easy as Googling, like how to be a farmer type no, thing or you, like you create it. It's OK, a, it's a pathway that needs to be created. And that's why I that's why I share on any social media platform, because I think people 
should know that there is a pathway you can take. And the pathway that I've taken has been like other black farmers, but I'm still not operating my own farm. And I think that's the difference is I'm uh, I'm still a laborer of sorts. Okay. Kind of like a freelance. Right. That, okay. And I say that I'm like, I'm a freelance farmer, but it's, it's a, it's a funny thing in the farm community to say that because it, it makes me not a real farmer. Hi. Uh, <laughs> I'm fine with it though. Yeah. But, but it's also known as like migrant farmer, but the difference is migrant farmers are usually immigrants. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm not an immigrant. Right. Um, so that means my wage is going to be proper because I'm not an immigrant. I'm not just going to accept because the agricultural rate, federal agricultural rate is $7 an hour still. Oh, wow. So there's, it doesn't matter the location. That's the, you can pay, it is okay to pay your laborer $7 an hour. That's wow. the reality of the food system. Yeah. Yeah. So some of the food that's in your supermarket, there's a laborer being paid $7 an hour. If that. I was just about to say if, if that, that. Yeah. Because most of them are from Mexico. Most of them are from the islands. And that U.S. dollar ratio, they'll be, they'll be grateful if they're paid five. Right. You know, and the farmers will then be like, well, I'm giving you housing and food. So that that adds up to being four dollars, you know, like it's finessed right. very heavily, especially on people who don't know. But I'm sorry, what was the question? Um, what was the biggest, uh, the toughest thing to transition? Oh, wait, you already answered that, though. Yeah. Oh, I was just um, asking you to um, share more about the journey of becoming a farmer. Oh, yeah. So I was basically <laughs> on the migrant farmer trail to a certain extent, but way more extreme. So I was I started farming in upstate New York in Highland area, which is close to like Poughkeepsie, New Paltz. Okay. In that area. So still close to New York City, but still kind of far an hour and change away. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like a really small mom and pop farm that I did not have a great experience on. But there I met lots of people. Like I started brewing kombucha and worked for a kombucha company. Mm. The farm that I was on also had shares in like an orchard property. So I was able to experience apple picking and peach oh, okay. picking. So I was given a very wide scope. Um, and then from there, I ended up moving to Hawaii, which was an extreme transition. I mean, I had never really seen even the middle of the country, even California. I went straight to Hawaii from right. New York City. And I was on the Big Island, and I was doing a program at the Hawaiian Institute of Pacific Agriculture. Um, it was like a farmer immersion program for six weeks, but I ended up falling in love with this man there. And he was like an overseer of a food forest. and you know, him and his team built this house and then we moved in together. So I was learning permaculture through him. Mm -hmm. Um, And he had studied permaculture for maybe 10 years. Like he was studying it and doing it. So it was very rewarding to be with him. And I'm so grateful that even happened because that was not just reading a book about permaculture, but seeing it applied to a land base. Mm -hmm. So it's even trippy when I go back there now to see like, the trees that he's been talking about now fruiting and him forming a business from it and Mm. that just that intentional off-grid community there and that was one of the biggest things too is living off-grid for the first time right on the other side of the planet right it was a lot it was a lot it was so much (laughs) so much but after a while being in hawaii i recognized that i i just something about it wasn't for me living wise right right like i I couldn't wrap my head around living in that space. And there's a lot of reasons for it, but overall, I felt that too, but it was an, it's a nice to experience it. Yeah. For now. But like, it's, yeah. it's almost numbing. Like that's how it feels like the beauty of it is like, if you're sad in Hawaii, I mean, like it doesn't make sense. Right. Cause everything's so beautiful, mm-hmm. but then also 
Hawaiian poverty being people living on the beach. Right. Like I can't, I can't even imagine. Right. That the place that we're so excited to see mm-hmm. is the place that they're they're so sad to see. It's like right. I live on the beach and they're happy, but they're in po- like I just couldn't wrap my head around it. On top of it's pretty much always good in Hawaii weather wise. So food food growing wise, it, it just seems like it's nonstop. Mm-hmm. And that was a lot. Just not having a full time of rest. Like yes, there's a rain season if you live on the wet side of the island, but mm-hmm. so altogether, I just re- recognize it wasn't for me. And then the severity of living off grid, mm-hmm. you know, not knowing that I was. I mean, I went to Hawaii thinking I would just be there for six weeks, and I ended up staying for way longer than that. Mm-hmm. So I ended up leaving Hawaii, and then I was in California. I did lots of freelance urban farming there in Oakland, and then I went to. Milwaukee and I was just being a witness to their urban ag scene there um, looking at growing power trying to see what they were doing mm-hmm. and when they were transitioning into becoming a different organization and then I ended up in Florida with my auntie and like doing chicken farming with her and like r- wanting to vision her land she had a bunch of orange trees mm-hmm. grapefruit trees <laughs> and then I ended up in Northern California doing cannabis hey and (laughs) that was totally wild i mean that was one of the most traumatic things i've ever done in my life it was very hard to grow girl it was like just a vortex within a vortex Mm. like i say this in all love but like i was farming with white rastas and like i i don't know they asked me to be the manager of their property but then they ended up going back to hawaii and i was like left trying to grow you know 200 plants on my own and indoor and i've never done it and i was in the middle of the redwoods and i had no car Mm. so i wasn't really eating but there was tons of ganja and it was cold and the house was unheated like it was just oh yeah that sounds (laughs) and i still hadn't dealt with my own parental trauma like Mm -hmm. that was still there but that was such a terrible time in my life and just to see how ganja was being exploited like just watching men talk about a plant like a woman mm. like hey, look how big she is is she beautiful it's like uh and then then the whole idea of like people who go grow ganja not understanding that they're they are a monoculture of sorts mm-hmm. they they don't claim that because like we have different strains on the land but really they're growing one thing right um so it was just <laughs> like it was so it was so crazy but i was grateful to learn and experience that plant i feel mm-hmm. like i still haven't received all that it has to offer because i was just in such a traumatic state there right but from there once the i mean the ganja industry crashed once recreational went through in california mm-hmm. most people don't have no awareness of that yeah i didn't know it was really bad for a while i mean dispensaries called out to all farmers they like, send everything in once recreational goes through will be great and then recreational went through and because taxes were so high and I don't know if they're still very high. I would think so, just based off of CBD prices in New York City. Yeah, I would assume so. Yeah, but it was super high at that time. Mm-hmm. I feel like it, w- it was on some other levels, and nobody was used to it. Nothing moved mm-hmm. from dispensaries. So all of the weed that we grew was just, like, turning brown. Mm. And we weren't really getting anything back. So I ended up leaving, <laughs> and I came back to New York City. And this is this is important because coming back to New York City... I finally was able to get an urban ag job here. Mm. And that's what I wanted to do from the beginning. But I was never afforded a chance to have a job at an urban ag nonprofit in New York City because 
I was deemed. I didn't have experience. Also, oh, all those um, adventures gave you yeah, the experience. Exactly. But I want to highlight that this is one of the biggest problems with urban ag. Mm-hmm. Nonprofits is, of course, I didn't have experience because I'm from Brooklyn. Right, right. But I knew, I knew from taking care of plants at home I could do it. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't deemed technical experience. Right. And gentrification plays a big role in that because then most of the farmers that we have working at these urban ag nonprofits, administration or farmer wise are not from New York City. Right. They're from farms. Right. They're they they're able to say I have been farming since I was 12 because they grew up in a place where that was accessible. Mm -hmm. So then you have people working for city people trying to give them food, but Mm -hmm. they're not connected to the community. Right. So I was super grateful to come back with a lot of experience under my belt. But my, my biggest battle is due to I've, I haven't studied one thing. I haven't really sat with one thing for years. I've mm. done many different things in the midst of two, two and a half years. So sometimes they still hold that against me. Mm. It's like I can say I have experience in doing all of this. Master still, of none. <laughs> yeah. And they're, still, they're still like, well, you don't have a full season under your belt. And I'm like, but a cumulative I have a like I have a full season. Mm-hmm. So I was grateful to come back and then do farm jobs and that's when horticulture came up but that's a different quest coming back here is where horticulture became a thing oh okay so but that was the whole goal was i had to accumulate the knowledge Mm -hmm. be pretty much a migrant farmer just taking the next job when somebody would call me so i have this good overview of what working the land looks like in different contexts Mm. but I, i i can't say i've truly studied one thing right but I was able to finally work in New York City as a farmer. That's beautiful. And I have a question because when I was doing research, because I had to do a lot of research on this because I (laughs) knew very little information on food systems and all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I noticed um, somewhere they said like we had like only about like 4,000 farmers or something, or maybe it was just in a specific area, but Mm -hmm. like um, a lot of machines have replaced farmers. Yeah. So when you were like venturing out on all these um, places, like was that the case or was it all just like humans? No, I was always on small operations or on land masses where it was intentional communities. And by that, I mean people choosing to live on this land and work this land. Okay. That's also called like an eco-village. There's different names for it, but it's people who choose to be on the land. And it's a whole culture where it's like wolfing, Mm -hmm. W-W-O-O-F, where that's an organization where they kind of link you to people who are an intentional community or farmers all over the planet who will give you food housing just to just to have somebody an extra hand around so with those farms that like you visited Mm -hmm. like you said for the community so it's like for and you know in the perfect world if there was a farm here in brooklyn Mm -hmm. um you would be farming for brooklyn sure or would you be shipping things out like how does that well it depends on what you're growing. So oh, okay. machine, machines play a big role in monoculture farming. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of farming right now. I mean, soybean and, and grain right. are the largest part. Mm-hmm. So when we think about, you know, 800 acres of sugarcane or soybean or wheat, I mean, harvesting wise, you're going to want to have a machine to do that. Right. You're going to need a machine almost because when it, it's 800 acres of plants all coming to harvest at the same time. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no strategy in planting one behind the next, which is why when you go and see, you know, you can go upstate, not even that far towards Vermont, so you mm-hmm. go east, and you can see just hundreds of miles of wheat, hundreds of, hundreds of miles of corn. Mm-hmm. So you need to harvest it quick, and only a machine can really do that. 
Okay. So I, but I've never worked on a monoculture farm besides cannabis. Oh, okay. Okay. So let's kind of go into um, food systems and all that fun <laughs> stuff. Um, so what is what are food systems? Food systems is and simply I don't like to jazz things up. Like I just speak we like it, it for what it is. Yes. <laughs> food systems is how everyday people eat their food, how they get their food, how they get their quote unquote calories. Right. How food is distributed amongst communities in the world. Oh, and I was way, way off. It's three million farmers. It's like four thousand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have it right here. Um, so what is like what's the problem with our current food system? Like why is there a need to um, have this of discussion or a need for change? I think the biggest problem is there's a lot of people on the planet. Mm-hmm. That's, and I, I won't call it overpopulation because I, I don't know what the earth can handle in terms of people wise. I would think that the earth itself could handle as many people as possible. Right. But in terms of the people surviving because we need food, that's where the food system becomes a problem. So when we talk about food security, which is linked into food systems, climate change, you'll see things like SNAP, EBT happening. Mm-hmm. And now SNAP is taken at farmer's markets. But previous to that, food security was calories. Like you need to have 2,000 calories a day. Right. But that doesn't that doesn't equate to nutritional right, value. Right, right. So that's where food insecurity comes up, where people are eating the proper amount of calories, but there's no nutritional value. So they still be like gaining weight or unhealthy. Obesity, et cetera. So that's one large aspect of it is people having to turn to heavily packaged based foods to get their calories because there's so many people on the planet but not enough people farming Mm. food. Most farmers are, if we're talking about U.S., because that's all I can really reference, if we're talking U.S., most people are farming soybean grain corn, right and most of that is not going to food it's going to feed cows right for meat, or it's going to become oil for cars mm-hmm. so with all of that being said if everyone's eating who's who's growing the food so right. most of our food is imported but it could be grown here mm-hmm. but it's not so i mean there's just it, it keeps going on and on and on then why isn't it um here is it because we don't have the space or is it because it's cheaper to import it right and and that's what's going on uh, planetary like on the whole planet mm-hmm. it's like farmers here are going surpluses of corn and grain and then it's being shipped to a place like ghana right and then it's destroying the ghana ghana's agriculture economy mm-hmm. because grain from the u.s is cheaper but what the government is buying the grain for is cheaper. It's it's not even paid properly. Right. So the U.S. farmer is still behind. And then the Ghana farmer is not even getting a chance to grow their own rice, their own grain of any sort, because it's being imported. Mm. But then we're getting our food from South America. It's like everyone is distributing food everywhere, mm-hmm. when really we need to practice focusing on local economies. Mm. Another thing that I read about the the food systems, I was doing a lot of research. I'm really proud of myself because I was like, I have no idea I'm proud of you what too. to ask. <laughs> but I know. We, and then again, you posted, um, you made a post on Instagram saying yes. to talk about it. So I was just like, I feel talk like it's something it. we need to talk about. If you know, she's saying it. So like yeah. you said, you encourage people to do their own research. Yeah, and if there's so. somebody listening that's like, I disagree because I read X, Y, and Z, that's even better. Let's talk I about it. So. Yeah, <laughs> let's talk about it. You know, comment or something. DM yeah. us. Please. <laughs> Okay, one thing that I thought was really crazy 
or interesting was like the pest epidemic. So when it comes to like the mass farming, mm-hmm. um, which is what most of us is eating yeah. or consuming. And it's when, um, you know, they spray everything, the, all the produce with pesticides to, yeah. you know, get rid of the pests. Mm-hmm. But it's like then the pesticides take out the nutrition in the, the produce. So right. it's like. And then the, then the produce is being shipped anyhow. Right. So the nutritional value is heavily depleted. So it's like we can't really even guarantee that we are even getting nutrients in what we're buying from our local grocery store. Right. But then on the flip side, it gets tricky. And I was just talking about this the other day where then we're having things emerge like farm one and square roots. Right. Which are like farms that are not soil based farms. It's like hydroponics and like growing food and shipping containers. Oh, I think I seen something like yeah. that's a black guy in like Compton or LA who right, was like it's doing happening that. all over. Yeah. And it's big here. There's like farm one and square roots is here. Mm. And then there's Gotham Greens too. I, but I think they use soil. But these are all like local New York City places. Oh okay. That are doing this here. But then it gets tricky because they'll claim they they're producing nutritional valued food like high because it's coming straight from bushwick or it's coming straight from williamsburg right straight to the supermarket so it has high nutritional value for sure but that work is not restoring topsoil Mm. and topsoil is what we're out of i mean topsoil used to be 12 feet down into the ground and it's been diminished into an inch two inches oh wow that's what feeds the the vegetable that's what is going to keep us going oh okay. topsoil itself so how does like the food like what's how does the food system and climate change how are they connected food system and climate change okay because so it's food systems climate change and people okay and so if you were to study the history of agriculture the only reason why we can get to the point of having this many people is because we learned how to control seeds mm. we learned how to say if i plant this it's guaranteed that this will come next year. So if I have a baby, I can feed them. Right. Hunter gatherers didn't have that guarantee. It's like I don't know if this kid is even gonna grow up. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I don't know the next time we're gonna have food. Right. So if the mother's not lactating, etc., it's gone. Right. So if we are to look at that, and then we see more people on the planet, which is pushing for more yield. Okay, we need more, 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 more food. Mm-hmm. Then it turning into, okay, we need more food fast because now there's a lot of people. Right. That's that's that component. That's the changing point. Is oh, eventually okay. it became, okay, we need more food because there's more people because it's a village, but then the village turned into a city. And then the city is people stacked on top of people. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we okay, now we need it fast because all of us are here. So where is it coming from? So that industrialization and the capitalism of food mm. is how we got to a point where we turn to traditions that are destroying the planet, right? So so using Monsanto seeds or just Monsanto itself, how it came about was because we needed more food fast after the Great Depression. Mm. And then also too, like um, just to piggyback off mm. everything you were saying, like we need space too. Yeah. Um, make this food and for yeah. the animals and all that stuff so I I'm not sure if this has anything to do with what happened in the Amazon but like you know they are known for cutting down like rainforests and stuff like that which is then yeah. cut off the air quality with the trees and just but that's agriculture in itself that's how the Amazon is so I'm this is gonna sound strange but I'm happy that it's happening because that's that's how any farm has gotten to be a farm that's how any piece of farmland on the planet became a piece of farmland mm-hmm. because 
most of the planet was pretty much trees. Right. So they had to burn it down. So it, it's not, I'm not glorifying what's happening in the Amazon, but I need people to understand. The benefit of it? The benefit, but also like historically that has happened so many times. Mm -hmm. For us to have food in the supermarket right now, there was a right. whole ecosystem that had to be destroyed first. Mm -hmm. But to talk about the Amazon is great because the only reason why they're doing that is yes, it's to it's to have beef, it's to have cows, but cows are not really the problem. The problem is is the grain that the cows are fed. Oh, okay. Because everything that I was doing research on, they yeah. were saying like one out of all the meats, um, the cow would right. be is the the hardest to maintain and upkeep and stuff, and it's kind of the worst out of the bunch. Sure, but that's because we're feeding cows grain, mm. right? So grain itself, us as humans, when we eat grain it's taking pounds of water. It's like, if I was to throw a rough estimate based on what I've read, it's like maybe 60 pounds of water for one pound of quinoa. Mm -hmm. So if you take that and then you give that to a cow and then you take the water that they need itself, mm -hmm. yeah, it's gonna add up to 2,500 pounds of water that a, one cow needs. Mm -hmm. But cows are not supposed to eat grain. Cows are eating grain to get food fast. Right. Cows are supposed to be eating seeded grasses. Mm -hmm. And they'll happily do that. But that's not happening anymore because we need food fast. So mm -hmm. naturally, the amount of water a cow needs if they're just eating grasses is the same is the same amount as a pound of quinoa. Mm. So that's where that's where things get tricky, where it's like, okay, yes, because of what they're feeding the cow. But if you took out that equation of grain and we were actually just honoring cows, that wouldn't that wouldn't be the case, which is why I keep ministering that the food system needs to change. Mm. And I want to bring this up, too, because, um, again, in the research I was doing, um, it was definitely pushing veganism. Yeah. Um, and it was it went as, so far to say, like, you know, the farts and stuff of like yeah. the cows it's and stuff. Thing. Yeah. So it's like, but you're not vegan. I'm not vegan. So like. What is the case with being vegan, being vegan and doing your part when it comes to food systems and climate change and all that? Well, I think with veganism, you have to look deeper. So even there's a personal narrative, but then there's also like a, a corporate narrative. Where okay. On a personal level, I have seen so many dairy farmers close down their farms because mm -hmm. it's like, well, nobody's buying milk anymore. And I, I, that's a whole lifestyle that's being depleted as we talk, like the the dairy farmer lifestyle is extinct at this point. I it doesn't did not exist, know that. Especially in New York State. Like, it's pretty much gone. Like, to think in 1950, 1940s, there is a milkman. Mm -hmm. And today, like, there's not even a dairy farmer. It, that's a crazy thought. That's mm -hmm. a crazy thought. And I'm not here to push, like, factory farming. Right. But that's a whole historical lifestyle that's gone now. And if you look at it in some aspects, that's good because of what dairy farming does contribute. But when we look at it where there there were dairy farmers honoring cows, there were dairy farmers doing the organic thing, mm -hmm. but they've been pushed out due to a vegan agenda. That's th there's, there's big dynamic shifts happening. Mm -hmm. But then on a, a more global level, veganism is, Oops, is vegetable based. And I think vegetables are vegetables are, are wonderful. They're filled with nutrients and all of that. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. But vegetables pulled from the vegetables are pulling nutrients from the earth and so if we're pulling if i'm pulling a beet out i'm recognizing that it's it's an accumulative of the soil mm -hmm. that's taking the nutrients from it now if i go to 
any type of juice place, if I go to any type of smoothie bar, I can visibly see people in taking, consuming fruits and vegetables. But that becomes unstable because the amount of fruits and vegetables that are being consumed mm-hmm. that have seeds in them, it's not going back in. So if we're talking about the farmer itself, mm-hmm. if we're talking about vegans saying, I want fair trade, organic, cage-free, the whole nine type of food, and then it's it's vegans in cities, mm-hmm. right? And your farmer's trying to come to the city. Like, yes, it's empowering for the local farmer to say, I have a big consumer base, but it's a lot mm-hmm. when there's not that many people planting. If, if we're all consuming food, but then all of us are not planting it, it becomes unbalanced. So we got to grow on food. It's going to get to yeah. that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm not like, you know, on this timeline here, but when it comes to growing your own food, mm-hmm. like how do you do that in a city like New York City with That's the climate tricky. is so like tough in the winters and stuff? And it's not like L.A. where it's sunny all the time, where yeah. I would assume it would be a lot easier. Before I answer that, I'll say more importantly than growing your own food, it would be making sure you have a place to compost your food scraps. Okay. And can you break down composting for me? Simplest terms is composting is food scraps by plant-based food scraps, ideally. And it varies. Like if you're bringing it to your local community farm, they might have specific guidelines where they don't want any food product like eggs or bones in it. And then there's some other type of community gardens that are just open to it all. I know Grow NYC has, they have different, I think they do it one day a week in different places where you can go and bring your community food scraps and oh, they're just okay. there to collect it. But compost is taking those food scraps, so plant-based food scraps as in fruit and vegetables, mm-hmm. um, giving it back. And what it does is it just breaks down into matter that restores topsoil. Oh, okay. Like to keep it clean and simple. So with you, like, um, like if you were to grow at home, like mm-hmm. for me, if I wanted to start growing, like, you know, maybe I'll try kale again. Right. Would I be able to put like do my own composting with that kale in a sense? Well, what your community garden will do or grow NYC is eventually they'll show up. And mm-hmm. so if you're bringing your compost, they'll tell you they'll be like next week we'll have compost available to you. And you oh, can put OK. It on your food, your plants, et cetera. Oh, OK. So that's that's available in New York City. I don't know about any other cities, but that's available here. Mm hmm. But in terms of farming in the winter, just so people understand, for East Coast and maybe Midwest, yeah, because it gets cold there, Mm -hmm. you're not farming during the winter. Oh, okay. So maybe, like in New York City, there's some farmers that will have storage crops, which are carrots, potatoes, rutabaga, Mm -hmm. you know, all hearty root vegetables, and they'll bring those to market. But, I mean, most people are not even going to market in the winter time right so they're kind of there to try and get these vegetables out mm-hmm. um and by maybe january february march time th- those have been really old at that point so mm-hmm. you have all these apples that like they look good but they're starting to wither away right so you're really trying to get those off by january because they must have just been harvested in november mm-hmm. you know so but it doesn't exist so from january to April and that depends on when the first frost is done right which is debatable at this point I don't know how other farmers do it, but me as like this freelance farming woman it's it's pretty much me being in New York City doing nothing that has anything to do with farming mm. so being a nanny being a babysitter right. being Some a gigs. barista 
just right. to hold it down. So when it comes to like, you know, the ideal way of living with us growing our own food mm-hmm. here. So how would that work with us with, you know, the East and the Midwest not being able to grow their grow their own food? So like, right. How would, would that work in the winter? It would mean start. it would be it would mean porting your local farmer, really. Mm. because if you can't do it then then get it from someone else who's doing it right right but it's like from the west but you'll be shipping it to the east coast rather than from another country but but not even because there'll be things available here oh okay also that links into eating with the seasons which is something that's like trending right now i feel like in most social media food places Mm -hmm. is if it's not available then it's not available right and that's difficult. That's difficult. And that's that's why wellness is tricky. Because mm-hmm. wellness will preach to you that you need to be eating kale all year round. You need to be eating spinach all year round. Right. But that's not available all year round here. Mm-hmm. So eat what's available to you. At least start with that before you go and you purchase something that has been shipped. Oh, okay. But if you are growing your own food, there are ways where you can go to your community garden and they may be able to rent you out a plot. Mm-hmm. They may be able to put you on a list where you can come in and have access to the garden to harvest what you need. Like, but this is this varies in New York City per community garden, so I can't give an overall statement for all of them. Okay. But if you go to your community garden, you inquire. Mm-hmm. That's the best way. But I mean, there's flower boxes, you know, where you can fill it with herbs, and there's fire escapes, which I think are super innovative. Mm-hmm. But really, when it comes down to it, for for me as a farmer. For me, as someone who cares about the food system, it's about the uncomfortability of seeking what it looks like to have my own farm operation and live out of a city. Mm. And that's it. I'm not ministering for anyone else to do that. Right. I, you know, it's if it's not choice. for you, I, I get it. But for me, I, I just can't sit here mm-hmm. and think about what I can do in this city when there's land. Right. That I could at least attempt to try and start something with. So um, before we go on, because I want to talk about climate change a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to getting land, mm-hmm. like how does that work? Is it similar to like renting an apartment type thing? Like you rent a, a space or? I mean, on a traditional level, it's taking out a $300,000 loan okay. from the U.S. government. and Buying it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. being in debt for the rest of your life. I mean. Me as a 24-year-old who's been through a surplus amount of trauma and comes from a super dysfunctional family, mm-hmm. I don't have anything to lose, so that doesn't scare me. It's right. like, if I spend the rest of my life trying to pay off land, at least it's my land. And you'll be happy because you'll be doing what you love. Absolutely. And it could it could bomb. Like, it could be like, it could be the worst land ever. It could be a swamp. And mm-hmm. I would still be delighted to be like, this is something that I have. Right. It's something my family has. But what's happening now is with this older generation Recognizing climate change, there's a lot of farmers, especially black farmers in the South, that want to give their land away mm. or want to have like a share in the operation. But really, it's it's another farmer taking over and it's their operation. But the problem is, is there's not a lot of young farmers. Mm. And then on top of that, the next problem is is getting it funded, and right. getting the tools and getting the pe- it's like a whole thing. Mm-hmm. So there's there's that route where it could be offered in that way. But then there's some farmers, especially on the Pacific Northwest, where they're leasing. There's farmers that are giving their land up and they'll lease it like an apartment where they'll be like, here's your acres, start your own operation. Mm. And then it's beautiful because then it's a community of young farmers around each other and they're able to network within each other and trade produce, et cetera, between each other. 
I've never witnessed that. I've only read about it online, but it seems really, really peachy. Mm, <laughs> sounds cool. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate what you're doing. I just want to say that because you definitely give a new image to what farming could look like. Because every time I think of a farmer, I never thought of someone like you would be a farmer. Like, you know, not like that, <laughs> but like, no, but like that, like, you know, so I'm just like, I could but be a even, farmer. And that's something I want to emphasize. And like Leah Penniman is, is showing that way now where Leah Penniman, I mean, she has a successful farm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But there is a side of farming where there may have to be something else for a while. Yeah. You know, in terms of income, mm-hmm. especially with winter being such a major thing. So you can have a successful farm operation. You know, mm-hmm. I've met farmers that are like, yeah, I just farm during the growing season and I'm good once winter comes. But for me, as someone who hasn't ha- doesn't have their own operation, I need something else. And right. for me, that's where storytelling has come up mm. to just be able to share what I've witnessed. And for other farmers, I don't know if that's possible because farming is I mean, so consuming. Mm-hmm. You're literally just farming. And by the time off season is has arrived, you're you're tired. Right. So I'm grateful to be able to speak about my experiences in the different realms of working the earth. Mm-hmm. And that be, I mean, it doesn't make me money now. I'm sure that'll change. But right. it's a way to let people know what's happening on the front lines. Right. Definitely. And it's going to encourage a lot more people to at least give it a try if they, yeah. if it's, you know, been an and idea. it doesn't matter how you look. I mean, right. You can be a beautiful farming person. Right. <laughs> that's <laughs> and it. And that's, it and that's such a stereotype with city folks. It's like rural people are not beautiful. It's like, well, it's time for us city folks to get out of the city and change that. You know, I never heard that. Oh, it's such a thing. Yeah. It's such a thing <laughs> where it's like Midwest people are not stylish. It's like, who said? Who said? I've got oh. some beautiful people that's all not like over the, a big city thing act that like, yeah, yeah it's such a it's such a mentality of mm. like they're not all the beautiful people are in cities it's like i i don't know that right. has not been true for me they're I've confusing seen. like apparel with beauty yeah and that's that's a whole other conversation right of like these illusions that have been made about city folks from rural folks and then like the vice versa of that mm-hmm. where the these stereotypes exist and it's what defines like this is what a rural person looks like and does. Right. And this is what a city, it's like. Because I'm not even going to hold you. Like when I think, I mean, now I, when I think farmer, I'm going to think something else. But right. like originally when I thought of a farmer, I literally, I didn't even think of a woman. I literally thought a white, old white man with that's, a hat, that's a straw hat. what we think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's real. And, and that's fine because that's what it's been. Right. That's what it's been. I mean, that's majority of who I've worked for mm-hmm. and on my missions around the U.S. But it's it's time for that to change because with that change i've realized will come more regenerative agriculture mm-hmm. more of us young farmers who don't look like that right will want to do things that harmonize with the earth because mm-hmm. we're from a different generation we're from a generation with diversity of perspective right and skills and indigenous wisdom mm-hmm so let's talk about um, climate change a little bit more in depth. Um, so we all know it's a lot of weird things are happening. <laughs> a lot of hurricanes, so a lot of earthquakes, a lot of fires, apparently. Um, so what is the deal with climate change and why should we be worried? I don't think we should be worried. No? I think we should be aware. Okay. I think we should be aware because we can slow it down right now. Mm-hmm. We have the opportunity to slow it down right now. But it's going to take every one of us on the planet to do it. Right. And that's why we should all know about it. Because mm-hmm. it, it's not one of those things where if 
a good amount of people are doing it, it'll work. It's like, Everyone. it's going to take all of us, all of our hands, all of our voices, all of our minds to practice more living in a way closer to being in harmony with Mama Earth. Mm-hmm. That's what it's going to take. So you can worry about it if you think it, it's not going to, it's done. Like, okay, right. we're, we're doomed. So then, yeah, there's a worry component of how how is all of the babies on this planet right now, how many years are they going to get to live? Right. But it turns into practicality and awareness and adjustment and transition when you recognize that it's in our hands to slow it down. Mm. And I kind of want to share um, something on climate change because, again, I had to do a lot of research. Yes. <laughs> It was like going to like seventh grade science class again <laughs> um, because I really I just didn't really look into or have any idea what was going on. I know like global warming is happening, but I never fully understood what Why? it actually yeah. was. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to break it down for y'all. Um. <laughs> so we have the earth and then the earth is surrounded by an atmosphere. So that is what prevents us from getting um, being too cold or too hot, basically mm-hmm. making it perfect livable for us humans. Um, and what the atmosphere does is allow um, sunlight to um, come on, um, come through the atmosphere. So that's why we have the, the cool, the, the right temperature here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it don't allow those same rays or whatever to exit. So once it's in, it's in. It's so um, that's why it's such a it's heating up in a sense, the world, because we have all these things that are happening, like um, the carbon dioxide and all mm-hmm. that with cars. And even when it comes to um And when it comes to the food systems and everything, like we create all these gases. But like I said before, the atmosphere um, doesn't allow these to go out. So they're all staying here. Things are getting heated up. So tornadoes are happening when they're not supposed to. These hurricanes are random unless it's hurricane season right now. I don't know. But um, yeah, so that's that's basically the case. And so that's basically what's going on with the earth right now. Like we are like overproducing everything. And Yeah. yeah, so it's like nothing's leaving. So like what can we do about it? I think educating yourself is the first thing mm-hmm. because what I've found, I, I can tell you no lie, five years ago I thought farming was the answer. Mm-hmm. You can, you could have not told, I've, I would have almost cried if you would have told me like farming has destroyed the planet and is the reason for overpopulation. Like mm-hmm. I would have been like, what are you talking about? So for me to even be at this point where I'm talking about it, it's because I've had to educate myself on it. Mm. And so I, I can only then change my ways once I know why I'm changing my ways. Right, right. So I so I strongly encourage everyone to read whatever book is like climate change is real. Mm-hmm. And what you'll find is that in, in these books, they'll reference other books. And so if you want to go deeper, if that one book is not enough for you, then like there'll be a whole bibliography of other books that you can read. And that's how I've created my whole chain of books mm-hmm. and just keep educating myself and you'll also find that as time has moved forward the studies are getting just just the stats are just getting way out of control mm-hmm. so if you keep going farther back you'll see even in the 1990s how different it was to till today till right recently, till at least 2013 mm-hmm. so that's the biggest thing that like i think it's hard for me to say that you know using reusable things like that's that's definitely helpful mm-hmm. but what's even more helpful is when you know why you're using those reusable right things. right and knowing deep beyond just like well there's less plastic in the ocean mm-hmm. but knowing 
knowing why it's actually happening, knowing the stats, knowing the state of the planet. Mm-hmm. That's what's important. That That's the only thing I would recommend right now is truly educating yourself on local economies, on nutrient-dense food. Mm-hmm. But the duality of that, seeing how, yes, veganism is a good, is part of the solution, but why, how can me eating be a part of the solution? Right. Learning how to accommodate each person each person you know like mm. you know somebody who eats meat and doesn't like to use reusable water bottles because they think that's weird mm-hmm. so how, how do we accommodate them you know so that because once you educate yourself you'll be able to reimagine the future so that worry will will disappear mm-hmm. so is that what you um meant when you said like everyone has to kind of contribute yes. to it so that everyone needs to be educated and yes. but like how do we all get on the same page? Well, that that comes from all of us knowing the same history. Mm-hmm. And that's why this whole veganism thing is is off kilter. It's, it's off balance because that's one way of looking at a history. Mm-hmm. But when we look at the history of agriculture itself, being vegan is not enough. Being vegan is going to just cause more more systems, more ecosystems to be destroyed. Right. You know, so we I all, mean, no matter what you eat, the, I feel like the ecosystem is it's already it's happened be, yeah. yes it's already happened so like we can grieve that together mm-hmm. we can grieve that all of the food all, where all of our food is grown it took ecosystems to be destroyed for us to have it mm-hmm. but we have we have to learn the same history right you know we have to be able to and we also have to look at history outside we have to take off our race lens for a little bit race mm-hmm. plays a major 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 role just in terms of thinking about the origins of agriculture being enslavement and imperialism absolutely but if we just look at it as a concept as something that has happened Mm -hmm. and not react especially as poc to those things but just to learn the history of it Mm -hmm. we'll be able to reimagine now Mm. but we we can't just react to the the racial part of it we have to see that as okay that has to change how we're right. going to change it. But we're all different people and what we all bring to the table will be different. Mm-hmm. So I alone or farmers alone or earth workers alone cannot do it. Mm-hmm. Mainly because literally physically we'll need more hands, but also we we only know what we know. Right. So this is actually, I know we're like emphasis on the United States and stuff, but it's a global thing. So like everyone yeah. needs to be on board, like every single soul on this planet. Yeah. And, but United States is an influencer. Right. So if we if we change it up, we, we could do it. But yeah. I like I said, in learning the history of agriculture, I recognize that there's but so much that's up to us. And mm-hmm. when you read the history, you'll know that. I mean, it's known like corporations are running things. The system right. is running things. But when you read the history of food itself, mm-hmm. you'll recognize that the system is what it is because pe- millions of years ago, people learned how to domesticate a seed mm-hmm. so i need people to understand that and that's how we learn- got like broccoli and all these other vegetables right but that's also how we got prisons oh yeah you know it's like by domesticating a seed mm-hmm. we learned how to create a prison how because <laughs> when you domesticate a seed think about what you're doing you're intentionally taking the seed and planting it in a straight line right. to then produce it so you've learned how to capture something. Mm. You're, you've domesticated it. You've made it yours. Mm-hmm. It, it, as a human, you've made it yours. You are now thinking that you are superior than what's around you. I see. So if you're able to do that with the seed, of course, you're able to say, all right, well, now we're going to cr- 
we're going to create a place mm-hmm. where we lock people up in cells because they've done something bad and we're going to control them. Mm. That's how we created this controlling system. I get it. By that action. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm talking all colors. I don't even know what the first hunter-gatherer looked like, what the first people looked like. Mm-hmm. Sure, they were brown. I don't know how brown, depending on where they are. But mm-hmm. that moment, that moment was when everything changed. Once our ancestors learned how to do that, I mean, that's when everything changed. And that's why a lot of farmers, you know, a lot of influencers in the farm community, like Mark Kimball, I mean, he was the first person to tell me, like, agriculture was the best and worst thing that could have happened to the planet and to humanity. Oh, wow. And it's true. (laughs) I got a lot of research to do, and I'm so intrigued. I actually want to do it. I'm not just saying it. Before we go into the next segment, I have Mm -hmm. another question. What would you say to someone? Because like you said before, this is something that everyone needs to be a part of. Yeah. So what would you say to someone who like, you know, say they don't have a green thumb or like they're not into that or la, 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 la. Just knowing because in just knowing you will talk about it Mm -hmm. to, to the people around you and just talking. If that's all you can do, that is enough right now. Mm. If, if if a tsunami comes tomorrow, I mean, I would hope that everyone would understand why the tsunami is happening. Right. Right. And that's that's potent. Right. That's and then po- you'll be prepared for it. Right. Right. Or or just having the justification of understanding why it's happening. Mm-hmm. And and if that for some people like myself, that's not science based. I don't need the science of, of greenhouse grasses and tops. I don't need that. What mm-hmm. I need is justification of the history of agriculture. Mm-hmm. So that's the route that I've taken where learning the history of it is what's liberating me to understand it now learning how the domestication of seeds made corporations in charge i can walk through this life feeling less stress mm-hmm. knowing i'm accountable yes but i'm also not accountable right so i'm the problem but i'm also the solution right so if that's all you can do then that is okay mm-hmm. but just educating but educating yourself on duality don't read that one article that's pushing plant-basedness right read the other article that's pushing meat eaters like it's not black and white and that's right. what i'm trying to get at i'm this whole thing of vegans now blaming meat eaters for the amazon it's like the oh i didn't even know that that's a whole thing that's happening right now it's a whole thing that's why vegans be getting bad raps because yes. the majority be wild but it's one-sided mm-hmm. it's like you can't point your fingers at another because at the end of our uh, of the day all of our ancestors ate meat so right we're all accountable it's in all of our bloodline and even if you just go based off just um what i said with the whole pesticides and everything yeah. if you just eat those vegetables you're contributing to all those gases which is contributing to global we all and contributed all to, to destroying ecosystems. Right. And it wasn't us. Right. Just like it's not the vegan that's eating meat. Mm-hmm. But we're all accountable. We're all accountable to eating things that are packaged. We're accountable to buying vegan items that are owned by Coca-Cola. It's right. like, you know, buying power is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Understanding that your your money is seeds. So what you put your money to is right. a, if you're putting it to a corporation that, and you might not be aware because that's how they sew it. And that's right. what I mean by like, it's so much more complex than who's eating meat and who's not. Mm-hmm. It's it's about the corporation. It's about the grower. Mm-hmm. And understanding that the people that are burning down the Amazon, the farmers that are about to farm there, what else are they supposed to do? Because that's what pays the bills. Organic right. farming, I mean, I've met a handful of farmers that are able to grow vegetables mm-hmm. and pay their workers well and be able to go on trips and have an actual vacation mm-hmm. but farming is hard and so but the fact that it's even an organic thing now is just what's mind-blowing too yeah. so it's it's a system that's just becoming mm-hmm. you know i think what really got me when i was studying this is to understand that wages for farming is a new thing agriculture has been on the backs of enslaved people so to make it a career right when it, 
it's really something for survival that's that's complex within itself mm-hmm. like this is something we need yet there's a wage to it but that's never been a thing that's a new concept mm-hmm. do you think um i know we're kind of just because i feel like we've been talking a long time <laughs> oh, we only had an hour okay so um because i remember at one of my live like nips event um i have a it was a bee farmer there adrian shout out to um life gardening tools they have mm. cbd honey uh, yeah and they're actually based in brooklyn shout All out to right. brooklyn um but he's a beekeeper and so you know i'm assuming he's like you know into what's going on with the earth mm-hmm. but one thing he did suggest at the live like nip is that we need i'm not sure if he was just speaking as black people or just a society in general to get with the bar um bartering yeah that would be very helpful mm-hmm. that would be very helpful where that might falter is when you own land you have land tax you have land taxes so you have to pay you have health insurance right right and so what really needs to happen is the government needs to create a subsidized program for farmers mm-hmm. where if you're doing regenerative farming which is harmonizing with mama earth mm-hmm. some of these things you don't have to pay for because then you'll be able to grow your food properly then you can fund the operation properly without right. having to worry about your mortgage your land tax your health insurance mm-hmm. right like the fact that farmers have to pay for health insurance is baffling to me lyme disease is prevalent when they're on tractors mm-hmm. which can takes away your hearing you could lose fingers you could fall off of it like so it's more complex than who's eating meat and who's not right and when you know it when you've read it yourself you will see that and out of that will leak an abundance of compassion mm-hmm. and for people living in their truth. Mm-hmm. So the reason why I can eat chicken and feel okay about it is because I know what I'm contributing to. Mm-hmm. So I can sit with, with my carbon footprint with the chicken right. because I know what's happening. Mm-hmm. So I'm not defensive if someone's like, you're contributing to climate change. It's like, yeah, but we all are. Right. And this is my truth right now. It's my truth right now. That's beautiful. But I'm in eating my chicken I'm able to reimagine a future because I've studied mm-hmm. what's, what has been done. And I can recognize that everything that has been done has been terrible. Mm-hmm. And so we need to move in. We need to move in a way that we've never even seen before. Right. Which is kind of complicated to say. Right. <laughs> I know it sounds like new agey and spiritual, but literally <laughs> we cannot reference anything in our past. So thinking about the future, like I'm going to need my dream time and my chicken to really understand that mm-hmm. but that's just my <laughs> truth mm-hmm. but i'll also always do my best because of what i read to source it properly right and then and you're also holding yourself accountable and that's what i feel like it comes down yes. to it because there's no rules to life no so as long as you hard, are aware period it's right hard. right so if you're getting yourself into this i mean know that it's going to make it harder in the sense of you knowing that in every step that you're taking mm-hmm. taking the train getting that coffee like you're going to start seeing your carbon footprint very live and in effect Mm -hmm. so for those that don't want that i completely understand that because life is hard Mm -hmm. but for me my truth is just to keep going deeper and deeper so i understand what not to do Mm -hmm. which will alleviate me to really vision something I, i don't know i don't even know what it looks like i don't even know what it's called i it's now being called regenerative agriculture, but who knows what that actually looks like and what the definition of that actually is. Cause it's changing every day. Mm-hmm. Cause the weather's changing every day. Right. So because of us, absolutely, <laughs> it's all just like a circle. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> oh my goodness. I'm um, looking forward to creating a visual 
behind everything that you do as well like you know for avocado and honey i'm really excited for that i want y'all to see (laughs) see your at work even though you can already do that online um because you have videos and stuff like yeah but um i really do appreciate this conversation it was extremely enlightening oh but we have um to love a black woman so that's where you amber you get to say something that you either love about yourself you could say something that you love about a particular black woman so mother sister cousin auntie friend or you could Mm -hmm. say something that you love about black women in general Hmm. Who's coming to mind is Harriet Tubman. Okay. I maybe last year was it last year? Yes, it was last year or the year before one of those. But it was uh, New Year's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was at this campfire in Northern California, and it turned 12 a.m. And the first thing that came to me was Harriet Tubman. And then I said, I wonder if Harriet Tubman was queer. (laughs) (laughs) It was the first thing I said. And I was like, wow. And then in my studies of Harriet Tubman, there's really nothing on her. Mm -hmm. Everything is like hypothetical. Like we think, you know, her and her husband were happy, but we don't know. Like Mm -hmm. we don't know anything about her innermost feeling. And I think about that so much. And that's part of the work that I do. And that's the inspiration comes from her because during that time in history, and what she was, I mean, what she was doing. Right. I felt like there was no room for her to even speak about her innermost feelings. Mm-hmm. And it be documented, at least. Right. And I'm sure as an elder, she was stoic, mm-hmm. you know, just from what she witnessed. So a lot of my work in being vulnerable about my own story, about my own path, about my own mistakes, and holding myself accountable first comes from nobody even having that information about her, which Mm -hmm. makes me so sad because what we do know about her is astonishing. Right. It's astonishing, but we don't know her own pain body. Mm -hmm. There's no documentation of how she felt about her family life, about her husband. Mm -hmm. So I'm inspired by what wasn't told on her behalf. Mm. That mystery. Emphasizing that all women, especially black women, share that with their loved ones with their close friends what they're feeling mm-hmm. because somebody's gonna have to know harriet tubman biography is at this point mm-hmm. it's a lot of feeling we think she was born at this time based on this census it's like that's why it's important for one of us to tell at least one other person something mm-hmm. or journal it if you don't want to tell anyone absolutely but i love harriet tubman and learning about climate change i'm telling you is where the underground railroad is at today mm. That's the Underground Railroad. I'm telling you. Okay. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> That's so dope. I never had anyone um, shout out like a historical black woman. So that was, that's cool. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I hope the cover of this is Harriet Tubman now. Say less. Say less. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I'm going to write it down, actually, so I won't forget. But um, where can the people find you if they're interested in learning more? You can just literally Google Amber Tam. <laughs> Google me, baby. <laughs> It'll come up. And beyond that, what will come up is all of these pictures of my dad and my mom and all the newspaper articles that were put out when mm. my father murdered my mom. So even if you're thinking I'm... I'm being extra or making things up I mean all my truth is out there and mm-hmm. that like I said just goes back to Harriet Tubman also lastly I want to say that Maya Angelou in one of her last interviews said what do you need the next generation to know what do you what would you tell them to do and she right. said tell the truth yes 
So that's what I'm doing. I'm just telling the truth. Yes, the truth <laughs> will set you free. And like I like we said, because um, we had a long conversation yes. before we even pressed record. But that's literally, I feel, the toughest or the hardest thing to do as a human being on yeah. this planet. And that is to literally live in your truth. That's the one thing that the toughest thing that we can do as a human. So if you can get close to that, if not conquer that in this lifetime, like that's okay. beautiful. But live your you truth. Look up Harriet Tubman. Yeah, I've never seen somebody. If you don't want people truth. writing your stories for you as well. Yeah, live in your truth mm-hmm. and know that it's it's enough. It is. It's more than enough. You are enough. Okay, okay. <laughs> we gonna keep going, but um. Oh yeah, I'm like I'm like. What's next? I have to like wrap this up. Okay, so thank you all for tuning in. <laughs> follow. Um, you can follow me on all social media platforms at underscore Smanji if you're interested in like what I do personally. Um, but for all things Avocado and Honey, please follow Avocado and Honey on all social media platforms. We are now active on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. But Instagram will be the most active, of course, because I love Instagram. <laughs> so um, follow Avocado and Honey to stay up to date. Um, please feel free to like, share, subscribe, spread the word on this episode. Like Amber Tam said, we need to keep this conversation rolling. Um, so thank you for your listens. I appreciate you. And until next time.